I want to ask you a Bible trivia question and see if you know the answer. It's a multiple choice question. Are you ready? Here goes. Which of these Bible characters lived first? Option A, Jesus. Option B, Abraham. Option C, Moses. I'll ask it again so you can make sure you have an opportunity to think about it. Which of these biblical characters lived first, Jesus, Abraham, or Moses? Now, some of you may know the answer immediately. If that's you, congratulations, your Lifeway in-store coupon is in the mail. Others of you may not have a clue, and that's okay. If you don't have a clue who lived first, I'm really glad you're listening to this podcast right now. And some of you may be in between. You're not 100% sure. You may be thinking to yourself, "Eh, I'm pretty sure Jesus was in the New Testament, Abraham and Moses were in the Old Testament, so you've narrowed it down a bit, but you're not entirely certain. Okay, I I won't hold you in suspense any longer. The answer is B, Abraham. Abraham lived before Moses and before Jesus. Now, that was only the $500,000 question. Here's the million-dollar question. Why does it matter if I know who lived first? What difference does it make? It's tempting to answer that question by saying it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. There's nothing wrong with knowing some Bible trivia, but it's not necessary for someone to know that Abraham lived before Moses and Jesus, right? Of course, there is some truth to that point, no question. But I don't want us to dismiss the significance of the order in which the Bible plays out. Many people have this idea that the Bible is composed of a bunch of stories that are essentially disconnected from one another. Sure, there's Noah and Abraham, Moses and David. Their stories are each compelling on their own, but they don't have much to do with one another. Or do they? Well, as it turns out, the order does matter. For the past several weeks here on the podcast, we made our way through the Ten Commandments, these rules that were central and foundational to the covenant God made with Israel through Moses. But in Galatians 3 and in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul actually makes a big deal out of the fact that God gave that law some 400 plus years after he had made certain promises to Abraham. In other words, it is significant that Abraham lived before Moses. Why? Well, listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul is quoting from Genesis 15, verse 6, when he says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There were many people in Paul's day who were teaching that one could only be justified through works of the law. In other words, the only way that someone could be right in God's sight was by performing works of the law, by obeying the commands that God had given in the Old Testament. The point that Paul is making is that God counted Abraham righteous by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that happened well before God gave the law. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, 
the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If you want to suggest that the only way a person can be right before God is by keeping the law, then not even Abraham was justified because he lived before God had given the law. Abraham could not keep the law because the law did not exist yet. So Abraham was not counted righteous in God's sight on the basis of keeping the law. He believed God. He trusted God's promise, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul makes a similar point in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. In other words, when God declared Abraham righteous by faith and made him all of those promises in the book of Genesis, he did not then give the law as a series of added stipulations. God was not changing the terms of the covenant he had made with Abraham. My wife and I have a fixed rate mortgage on our home. We signed a contract with the bank that they will loan us the money at a certain interest rate and we will pay the loan back to them. Now, before that contract was signed, the bank could add all kinds of stipulations. They could say, we need this additional paperwork, or we've changed the terms based on this new information. But once the contract was signed, that's it. The bank cannot now come to us and say, yeah, you, we've been thinking about it some more, and we'd like you to provide this additional documentation, or we've put some more thought into it, and we've decided to increase your interest rate by 10%. No, once the paperwork was signed, the terms of the contract were settled for the duration of the loan. That's the idea Paul's getting at here. The law did not alter the terms of God's promises to Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to bless him, that he was going to multiply his descendants. God told Abraham that he was going to give those descendants an inheritance and that he was going to bless the whole world through them. When God then gave the law, he was not defaulting on those promises. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 17 and 18. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. God's law does not annul God's promise. Now, what does all of this have to do with us? Why is that significant to you and me? Well, for one thing, if we trust in Christ, God says that we are the true descendants of Abraham. We are the heirs to the promise God made to him. And because the inheritance comes by God's promise, not through the law, we can be guaranteed of the security of that inheritance. Nothing we can do and nothing that can be done to us could possibly cause us to lose that inheritance God has promised to his children. Here's how the apostle Peter states that in 1 Peter chapter 1. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus, it is because of God's abundant mercy to you. Not because you were so smart that you figured it out. Not because you were so holy that you worked your way in. It is according to God's great mercy that he has caused us to be born again. And if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus, God has secured an inheritance for you. That inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It cannot be lost. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be corrupted. And not only is God guarding that inheritance for you, he is guarding you for your inheritance. Peter says, you are being guarded. You are being kept by God's power through faith. In other words, God is holding you in faith. He is keeping you trusting in his son, Jesus. Now, what about someone who may not have trusted in Jesus yet? If that's you, there's something for you to know as well. And this is just as important for someone who is already a believer. When God declared Abraham righteous by faith 400 years before the law, he did that to make a point for our sake. In Romans 4, when Paul quotes from Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul later adds this comment. He says, The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. In other words, when God said back in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he said that not for Abraham's sake, but for ours. Paul goes on, It, righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So back to the question I asked at the beginning, which of these biblical characters lived first, Jesus, Abraham, or Moses? It may not seem like an earth-shattering question at first, but it turns out that God was demonstrating an earth-shattering truth when he declared Abraham righteous by faith, then waited 400 years before giving the law. God wanted it to be very clear that we are not right with him by our own works, by our own ability to keep the rules. God did not give the law as a blueprint to say, here's how you can earn my favor. Here's how you can be right with me. Here's how you can put me in your debt. He gave the law as a mirror to show us, here's how sinful you are. Here's how much you need a savior. The law is God's way of helping us see the ugliness of sin and the glory and righteousness of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to draw the wrong conclusion from that. It's not that God's rules are unimportant. It's not that we should forget about the Ten Commandments, for example. It's just that we have to keep them in the right perspective. If we take the Ten Commandments specifically, these are not rules that God puts up on the outside of His house and says, you have to live up to these before you can enter. They're more like rules that God puts up inside His home to show those who are already in his family what he expects of them. He does not say, meet these requirements, then I will adopt you as my own. He says, I'm showing you these so that you will see and know that you don't deserve on your own to be my child. You can only come into my family by grace. And once you've been adopted into my family, these are some family rules 
that we abide by. These are ways that you can please your heavenly Father and imitate the character of your brother, Jesus. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Salvation is not a gift given to those who are righteous. Righteousness is a gift given to those whom God has saved. We cannot be righteous on our own, but Jesus has poured out His Spirit on His people so that having been declared righteous, they can actually be righteous. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.